Coming up this time, more classic Cluffy stories. When you interviewed Cluffy, you didn't have a plan. It was ridiculous because if you had a plan of questions, you'd be ripping them up. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you'd be talking to him and it would go on to politics. Yes. And we'd be talking about how, how we need more bobbies. One of his big things, we need more bobbies on the beat. Yes, interviewing Cluffy was always a memorable encounter. I went along and you know, I was hanging around for ages, as you often did, and then eventually came out and said, your man, you know, come in. And he said, uh, would you like a drink? And I said, I'd like a cup of coffee, please. He said, very good, young man. It, it was rather like being called in front of the headmaster. You know, you're a naughty schoolboy. Yes. You're called in front of the headmaster. And all the emotion of a tearful final meeting. We had a long chat and he said, it's, it's lovely to meet you again. It, it was, it was, I, was, I was just about moved to tears because it was just wonderful to meet up with him. You're so warm and uh, kind to me during that. And then it wasn't so long after that that he passed away. So um, that made it uh, even sadder for me. Welcome along to the Green Jumper podcast with myself, Marcus Alton, the editor of the tribute website, brianclough.com. My guest today is a former TV sports reporter who probably spent more hours than he cares to remember waiting outside Brian Clough's office for an interview. It's a big hello to Dennis Coath. Hello, Marcus. Great to join you. Yeah, good, good to have you along, Dennis. And uh, I wonder, did you really need a sleeping bag for, for when you were waiting outside Clough's <laughs> office all those years ago? <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. Yeah. Um, Cluffy was the master of mind games before Alex Ferguson or anybody. Mm. And he liked to keep you guessing. He was very good at it. And um, when you went to do an interview with him, uh, he died, he, he, you didn't know what mood he'd be in. He'd either be delighted to see you and welcome you straight in, or he'd keep you waiting for a long time. And sometimes that could be a very long time. You're waiting outside the office and then he'd eventually appear. And sometimes he'd uh, give you a very quick and succinct interview. And other times um, you couldn't get away. He'd be telling you stories and it'd be just one, just listening to him tell stories was wondrous. So you never knew. So he kept you guessing. He was the master at it. Yeah. How did it go though in those days? Because there were no official press conferences then, were there? No. Was, it, was it just a case of turning up and hoping for the best? In some ways it was because um, you tried to fix up an interview through his secretary or whoever and usually on a Friday if you got down there for about 12 o'clock he was around and he did and you never knew whether he's going to do interviews or, or what but that was that was the magic of it because he did keep you guessing and he was well worth waiting for because he was such a brilliant interviewee I mean he was just the best everything he said was sort of the poles of wisdom did he give you some golden moments Oh, so many, uh, you know, <clears throat> even advice uh, about things and, <clears throat> and talking about football. Uh, he, he told me so many, I learned so much from him and Peter Taylor. I learned everything. The way they handled people was uh, really exemplary. They were so clever at handling the players. Um, they did, it was the most brilliant double act, the way they handled the players in that, uh, Peter Taylor would probably button, uh, bust them up with a few jokes. Then Cluffy would come in a bit tougher and say, right, big game today. And they, they had that famous cliche, this is the ball, treat it kindly. And he always used to say to me, you know, it's about the ball, passing the ball from one man to the other. It's a simple game. Cluffy, you always used to stress that to me. You know, people overcomplicate. 
Uh, it's a simple game. You, you pass to a man in the same coloured shirt, you work your way out the field and put the ball in the net. And uh, it's all sort of little golden moments like that where you learnt about the game. And uh, he was very astute tactically. A lot of things other managers have done, in recently even, uh, Cluffy did it long before then, like having a one-man uh, centre-forward, having just one striker up front. Uh, that wonderful uh, European Cup victory over Hamburg when Gary Bertels played as the lone striker yes. and did an absolutely incredible job. But nobody, nobody did that, that tactic. You always had two strikers. But Cluffy, um, just before kickoff, told Gary Mills, no, you're dropping back into midfield, and Gary, you're up front on your own. And uh, nobody did that, and it was it was amazing. And you just come up with these little tactical masterpieces. Uh, and I remember once playing Coventry in a, a cup tie, suddenly put Gary Crosby, the tiniest little bloke in the team, but lightning quick, up front in a centre-four position. And uh, nobody expected that, and it mesmerised Coventry because he was... Uh, there's no big man to mark. And, yes. uh, but he did things tactically before others. Yes, That's what yeah. people forget. And coming back to the European days, it must have been wonderful for you to be working at that time and, and, and seeing this success at first hand. What was amazing about it, truly amazing, was how they fitted that team together like a jigsaw puzzle. They um, bought players to to play in a certain role and to fit into a certain position. A lot of managers now just buy a player because he's, he's a good player and then think afterwards how he fits in the team. Cluffy and Taylor bought a player and you think of that great, marvellous, what a team in 7980. Uh, right, the first thing you need is the best goalkeeper. So they bought Peter Shilton. I always think he's the mm. greatest goalkeeper ever, anywhere. Amazing. God. So then they thought about, right, we need um, another centre-back. We've got two really, you, you need... From where I come from, you have two big, hard centre-backs, and they don't come any big, harder than uh, Larry Lloyd. <laughs> no. <laughs> Larry Lloyd and Kenny. Can you imagine going out to play on a, a Sunday park and you're facing Larry Lloyd and Kenny Burns? You'd probably turn tail and run back into the... Uh, yes. And then he sort of got he got Archie Gemmell as a left-sided midfielder, and he built the team. Uh, they built that team, the, the cogs, where they fitted, and that was the skill. They every He knew exactly... Who, why they were buying the players, where they fit into the team, and that's why it worked. Yes. You mentioned Peter Shilton there, and you've worked with him on a, on a couple of books. Um, what was that like? And uh, and also, you, you say in the book that, you, that you've written, it, it was really more underrated. Yeah, uh, this is something I just can't understand. I can't believe this. Um, if I was selecting the, probably in my estimation, I've seen probably four great and I'm talking about absolutely great English footballers. Um, Tom Finney, a long time ago for some people. Yes. Bobby Charlton, uh, Paul Gascoigne and Peter Shilton. Now, whenever people talk about who was the greatest England footballer, it seems like goalkeepers don't count. But Peter Shilton got 125 caps. It should have been about 150. And... Uh, he was just, and the saves he made, I mean, that, that, that Forrest wouldn't have won the, the uh, uh, European Cup twice without Peter Shilton. He was the best. And, uh, you know, he, the, the, he's one of the four great English players, and you could argue for a few more, but they're four greats. Yes, yes. I think um, Cluffy used to say that Shilton was worth 10 or 15 points a season alone and that was in the days when it was like two points for a win um which shows you you know how much he thought of him cluffy also couldn't believe that the england manager at the time ron greenwood couldn't decide between shilton and clements 
No, I couldn't. I mean, Clements was a great goalkeeper, but Chilton was the best in the world. Yeah. So I found that absolutely extraordinary. They used to rotate the uh, pair of them. But uh, Cluffy, it, it, probably the one player Cluffy really left alone and was almost in awe of was Peter Shilton because he just uh, let Peter do his own thing because Peter knew what he was doing. He was the exemplary professional. He'd stay behind after training and uh, get kids to you know have shooting practice with. And uh, other players would be long back in the changing rooms having a shower, getting changed. And Peter would still be out there training, yeah. but he was uh, a one-off. Yes. And I think, um, as the story goes, uh, that, that's what led to Cluffy wearing the green sweater uh, in the end, because he mm. saw Shilton wearing a green sweater with number one on the back yeah. and said, hey, I'm the number one round here, and started wearing the, <laughs> the green jumpers. So, uh, but that, uh, more admiration for Shilton, really, I think, that one. Um, in your book that uh, you've brought out, you give some tips for new reporters uh, and in, in an interview, you say, don't always stick to a rigid list of questions because your interview may go in an unexpected direction. I'm sure that must have happened with uh, Cluffy when you spoke to him. <laughs> when you interviewed Cluffy, you didn't have a plan. It was ridiculous because if you had a plan of questions, you'd be ripping them up. I mean, sometimes you'd be talking to him and it would go on to politics. Yes. And we'd be talking about how, how we need more bobbies. One of his big things, we need more bobbies on the beat. Uh, he was a really old-fashioned type of socialist, and he believed in really looking after people, looking after the community and being a member of the community. And uh, he used to go on about that. But he'd just suddenly go off to tangent, uh, talking about something. But he was so articulate about every subject, uh, so that uh, you don't, didn't know which way the conversation was going to go. Uh, so you had to sort of you know, uh, be, be really on your toes all the time. Uh, yeah. But whatever he talked about, it was fascinating. Yeah. With your long and great career in, in journalism that, that, that you had, um, I, I guess you, you would have seen the, the, the other teams that Clough built at, at Forest after the European days and those, yeah. those annual Wembley trips. That, that, that must have been a wonderful time to be working as well. It was great um, because... Uh, that was very underrated those days. And there's some great, he brought some great players in there, like Neil Webb was very underrated. Yeah. Uh, and of course, young Nigel. Nigel was another very underrated player. I remember he first came along, Cluffy said to me, he said, he's not big, he's not strong, he's not quick, but he can play. But what he did have, Nigel, was a terrific tactical appreciation of the game and bags of courage. Nigel was as hard as nails, I'll tell you. And uh, he was a great, he'd be better playing in the modern game where he could play in that number 10 role, right. where he'd be absolutely, he'd be in the England team every game in that 10 role. He was just brilliant because he could do, do the whole lot. He scored goals, he could drop back, thread the little passes through. But uh, that was a really underrated team. And the other thing about that team, they were entertaining. Yes. He let them, you know, let them play. And the, some of those Wembley wins were fantastic. They were really, really good to watch. Exciting times, yeah. definitely. Now, you interviewed one of Cluffy's heroes, I understand, Muhammad Ali. And you, I think in the book you say he was still as sharp as ever, d despite the, the health problems he had at the time. Yeah, that was interesting. I interviewed him once on radio when he was fully complimentous. And that, that was just amazing. But even better was the interview I did actually in Nottingham with him. Uh, at um, I th It was in a bookshop in Nottingham when I sat oh, yeah. and did this interview with Mohammed Ali. And he was uh, 
starting to suffer quite badly from Parkinson's syndrome, but it was a very poignant interview and the warmth and the awe of the man came across. He was just amazing, just being in his presence. He's, he's the only first person, apart from Cluffy, I've ever felt in awe of. There's <laughs> two people in my life I've felt in awe of, Brian Clough, Muhammad Ali. And just being in Muhammad Ali's presence was just amazing. And he... He didn't have a mark on his face. You couldn't believe this guy's been a top boxer. Not, not a mark on his face, um, but he was so witty still. And there were some kids came in and he played. He pretended to spar with them and they were just thrilled to bits. And uh, it, it, he had still had that twinkle in his eye and that, that wit, although he's a little bit slowed, slowed down, a bit slurred. But, uh, gosh, that was just just wonderful memory. I bet. Yeah, Clough and Muhammad Ali. Oh, Marvelous. wonderful, wonderful. And uh, among the, the other big names that, that, that you interviewed and, and also sort of through your love of football, really, helped you interview Rod Stewart. Um, mm. How did that come about? Very early in my career, in about 1970, 71, I did a little bit of freelance work for the music papers as well as on uh, then. Those days I'd started on Radio Leeds, BBC Radio Leeds, where I started. And I was doing a, a concert review of Rod Stewart and the Faces. And uh, I went along to the not knowing what to expect. And Rod Stewart was absolutely wonderful. He welcomed me. He said, Dennis, come in, join the lads. <laughs> Go and sit in the dressing room, have a drink. You know, how are you? You're with us for the evening. Don't you know, have, have a good time. And uh, he said, right, for the concert, you come up on stage with us. And I sat on the stage with them while oh, they wow. did the concert. And then afterwards, say, come on, Dennis, we're going to, we're going to have a, a, a crack open some champagne in the dressing room. And, you know, and I was just with him. For, and he did a marvellous interview. And part of it was about football. And he was, because he's a mad keen Scotland and Celtic fan. And um, he talked about football. He had a trial for Brentford. Uh, I had a trial for Watford. He had a trial for Brentford. Ah. So we had um, a bit to talk about there. Now, you also talk about the importance of, of developing good contacts as a reporter. Yes. Uh, and you managed to get some great exclusives, I remember. And it, it turns out it was thanks to some anonymous sources who were actually football chairmen at the clubs that the stories involved. Um, and one club, I think, launched an investigation into to, to how you were getting these stories. How, how did you handle all that? Um, I can't give away the club, but no. it was in the East Midlands. Ooh. It wasn't Nottingham Forest. No. And the chairman at the time was a lovely guy, very friendly, and but open and honest. If you asked him a, a question, he'd give you an absolutely straight answer. <laughs> you say, are you interested in signing that Dutch international? Yes, we are. We hope to sign him next week. And he'd tell you everything. And he'd often like to go and have a, a meal with us. You know, we'd go and drop it to you. Um, drop by and have, have a bit of, bit of spot of lunch together. And we'd yeah. have a chat and he'd tell us all what was going on. Yeah. And uh, we, we knew everything that was going on. So we were getting all these stories on IGV exclusive about this club. Uh, things that were happening, who they were signing. But the club la launched an inquiry and in how ITV knew everything that was going on. <laughs> what they didn't realize, it was their own chairman who was spilling the beans. And uh, what a great bloke, because you are, as I say, he just told it like it is. And he's a great sort of bon viveur and great companion. It was, it was, it was terrific. So, uh, yeah, we were all one step ahead. Fantastic. And then another chairman asked you uh, for help with a big signing, I think. Yeah, it was the manager. Oh, uh, yeah. um, at an, another East Midlands club, not Nottingham Forest. Right. And he said, we've got a, um, we're thinking about, we don't know who to have, have the manager. And so we're yeah. thinking of these. And, and I said, well, what about so-and-so? He said, yeah. 
Um, and then he, they went along with my choice and uh, chose the manager I'd uh, suggested, which was very uh, complimentary. Yeah. I think yeah. he lasted a season. Yes. He, he lasted a full season. So, <laughs> which is remarkable these days. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it was good advice. Um, now, there's, there's a real art uh, to live reporting and football commentary in particular, something that you highlight in the book and of course we've recently had the sad passing of, of John Motson um, mm. and that, that's a really sad loss isn't it terrible terrible because uh, he had a presence and he had a method and what you, you, everybody would learn from John Motson is that important word P preparation preparation he was never caught out was Motty with uh, he did so much research and he spent the night before a big game just swatting, swatting, swatting until he knew every fact and figure about the game yeah. and could just recall them. So uh, research, fantastic. And uh, he was uh, unique, had terrific character about him. Uh, and he was just, uh, it, to him, football, football was a religion. And I say to all these young reporters, if you go into sport, it's, it's a religion. It's got to be, you, know, you live, eat and breathe it. And Motti did. And uh, it produced some fabulous moments. Yes, yes. And, and also, it was very sad to hear about the death of uh, ITV's World of Sport host, Dickie Davis, oh, um, as I, well. Oh. Yeah. Yes, I was on some early World of Sports with Dickie Davis. And um, one thing I remember doing was um, they did wrestling at the time. And it was the final wrestling match for Mick McManus, the, the, oh, the wrestler. Yeah. And I was I did the live thing with Mick McManus into World of Sport and had to escort him into the ring and interview him afterwards. Uh, and that was with, with Dickie Davis. And I um, yeah, was, did a few pieces on World of Sport. And Dickie, he was just, a, as he appeared, real gentleman, great pro, lovely man. The sad, very, very yes, sad part. Yes, a, a legend of of, uh, of broadcasting. A, a bit like yourself, of course. You know, from those... No, I'm, I'm more of a legend, Marcus, <laughs> than legend. Those <laughs> wonderful days at Central TV. I used to enjoy uh, uh, enjoy watching you on that. Um, but, of course, uh, t talking about the famous faces that we've lost, it was really a shocking day that it was announced that Cluffy had passed away. I couldn't believe it, because... It was only, it wasn't, I can't remember how um, Cluffy, before a, a Forest Derby game at the city ground, Cluffy um, sent a message through Nigel that he wanted to see me before the game. Ah. And um, it, that was very um, poignant because uh, I went to meet him before the game. We had a long chat sitting in the foyer in Nottingham Forest. And uh, he wasn't well then, I could tell, but he, we, we had a long chat and he said, it's, it's lovely to meet you again. It, it was, it was, I was, I was, just about moved to tears because it was just wonderful to meet up with him. You're so warm and uh, kind to me during that. And then it wasn't so long after that that he passed away. So um, that made it uh, even sadder for me because I'd had that meeting with him and we, you know, recalled the old days and had a really warm chat together. Uh, yes. And he said he always watched me on television. And oh god, that was you know that was a real joke. I really choked on that. It was um, very sad. Very sad. But it, yes, but at least you've got those lovely memories as well, which is which is yes. good. Um, your career also had some <laughs> uh, highlights and lowlights, shall we say, <laughs> uh, which is reflected in the title of the book, um, Rats, Pies and Pigeon Poo. And, and, and the pies reference, I think, comes from eating a, a mouldy pie at a cricket, big cricket match. 
What what was the, the, yeah. the what was the background? Well, I'm, to glad that? To, I'm glad to say it wasn't at Trent Bridge, and it was a, a semi-final of one of the big cup competitions, and the sponsors had given all the press a little lunch pack, and I thought, oh, that's nice. Well, it was 28 degrees or something. It was a roasting day. Oh. Opened up the lunch pack, and there was a half bottle of white wine, which was by now lukewarm. So that, put that to one side. Then there was a cheese sandwich, which was totally dried up and curled at the edges. I thought, oh, sorry, nice. <laughs> but there was a pork pie. So I was the first journalist in the press box to open up my lunch pack. So I'm always a bit ravenous. So I picked up this pork pie, bit it in half, and I looked at it. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was every fluorescent colour of yellow, purple, mauve, oh. and just a sort of um, liquid morass of mould in the middle and penicillin. I'd eaten half of it. So I rushed downstairs and I got a double vodka from the bar and just threw it straight down my <laughs> neck to kill off that to hopefully that would kill off all the germs, which I think it did. Yes. Uh, but it was oh, oh. But I warned all the other members of the press yes. pack not to don't touch the pie. <laughs> narrow <laughs> escape, a narrow escape, yes. Now, um, after Cluffy passed away, you uh, you helped the campaign for a statue of Cluffy in Nottingham. Yeah. And you were the MC at a fundraising gala dinner um, with Brian's family coming along as, as guests, yeah. and that was at Nottingham Council House. How special was it for you to, to be part of that? Fabulous, wonderful, and it was a, a, a lovely warm evening. The people who came along, Cluffy's family, and uh, everybody there, and some of the great people like John Robertson was there, and John McGovern, some of the great old stalwarts, and uh, we had a wonderful evening. Yes. It was like a, it was a celebration uh, of the man, and luckily we made, raised the funds for the uh, for the statue, which is a must uh, because there's two people you associate Nottingham yes. with, Robin Hood. In Cluffy, yes, uh, a few others, but uh, Robin yeah. and Cluffy. I mean, oh wow! Yeah, no, that was that was a great night, and uh, we'll always be grateful for the for the help you you gave then. And I think even at, towards the end of the event, the cast of the tribute play that was on at the Nottingham Playhouse that night yeah. came along after their performance, and mm. uh, and you in, you interviewed them, um, including yeah. the late Colin Tarrant, who was uh, yes, I was, did. Was, yes. Was, was playing Cluffy at the mm. time. Colin Tarrant, he was terrific in that role, and the whole cast really took it on board. They uh, they didn't just do the uh, play as a, it wasn't sort of like um they were distanced from everything. They became a part of it. Yes. They became a really integral part of uh, of what was going on. Yes. Uh, it was so so real so, and so very heartfelt, I thought. Going back all those years, Dennis, can you remember the first time that you were sent to interview Cluffy and, and how nervous you were? Yeah, I can. I was nervous Yeah. Uh, because this man's a legend. You know, he's the, the greatest legend and... Uh, they were then Forest in um, what was then League Two, the, the season they got promoted. Yes, uh, and um, I went along and you know, I was hanging around for ages, and uh, as you often did. And then eventually he came out and said, "Your man, you know, come in." And he said, uh, yeah. "Would you like a drink?" And I said, "I'd like a cup of cup of coffee, please." He said, "Very good, young man," and uh, yeah. had a cup of coffee. And uh, he was very good then. Oh. And uh, it was rather like being called in front of the headmaster. You know, you're a naughty schoolboy. Yes. You're called in front of the headmaster. And <clears throat> as I said, he's, he and Muhammad Ali are the only two people I've been in awe of. And you were in awe of Cliffy because look what he'd achieved. I mean, he, he was just amazing. I mean, 
he should have been England manager, obviously. We all know that. But, uh, yeah. you know, great moment. Some great memories there. And, of course, good luck with, with the book, which, as I say, is called Rats, Pies and Pigeon Poo. And, and um, there's more information about the book on the show notes for this episode of the podcast. Dennis Coth, thanks ever so much for sharing your memories today. Absolutely my pleasure. I've enjoyed it immensely, Marcus. And my thanks also go to you for listening. Don't forget, there are more great Cluffy stories on the tribute website, brianclough.com, where you can also buy souvenirs and books helping good causes. If you haven't done so already, why not have a look at the back catalogue of Green Jumper podcasts? And I hope you can join me next time for more memories of the great man in the Green Jumper. <laughs>